0: We want to look this morning at a parable on prayer. You may have seen Scott Lundy's uh, title to this uh, text. Uh, Scott is the uh, teacher for the evening service, and he entitled it, Hang in There, Baby. Uh, Makes my title pale into insignificance. If uh, what you get this morning is the old geezer's account, tonight you get the X generations uh, treatment of this same passage. Uh, When our kids were growing up, we always had a pattern of storytelling at night. I would uh, go into their room, or Carolyn would, and we'd sit on their bed and pray with them. And then we would uh, tell them a story. And they always wanted us to put them in the story. So we'd tell one of these fantastic tales, and uh, we would inject them right into the uh, story once upon a time. There was a little boy named Randy, and he lived on the edge of a dark, dark wood, and their eyes would get about this big around, and and they'd get uh, get involved from the very start. And it struck me one day, at looking at some of Jesus' parables, that that's uh, precisely what he does. A parable is a story that Jesus tells, and he puts us in it. So our task this morning, as we look at this parable, is to find ourselves. Now, I'd like to read... Uh, Read the story that Jesus told. It's uh, in Luke 18, just eight verses. Uh, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Uh, For some time he refused. He refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Uh, That uh, word faith has before it in the Greek text, uh, an article. Uh, It's literally the faith. And uh, grammarians tell us that when you find an article like that, it's called an article of previous reference. It refers to something that's been said prior. And the faith to which our Lord refers here is the faith of this uh, widow. Uh, when the Lord comes, he says, will he find faith like that expressed by this uh, importunate uh, widow? Now, I, I want to put this uh, parable in a setting because that's important. You'll notice that the, at least in the NIV, the verse begins, Then Jesus began to tell his, uh, his disciples a parable. Uh, when Luke was originally written, there were no chapter divisions, there were no paragraph divisions. In fact, there were no sentence divisions. There were no periods. There were no commas. Uh, it was just one string of unbroken text. And so, the readers of that original document would realize that chapter 17 and chap- our chapter 17 and 18 are are linked together. There's no break. As a matter of fact, chapter 18 actually begins with "And." And he told them the story. Now, uh, we need to understand that this parable uh, belongs in the section that Chris taught so well last week, this understanding of the of the kingdom of heaven uh, that our Lord gives us in that text. Remember that the question arose: When is the kingdom coming?" And Jesus said in effect, "Now and not then and not yet uh, that's the mystery in the kingdom it is It is here today, but not yet. There is a king. It's our Lord Jesus. There is a kingdom. It's the sphere of his influence. He rules from sea to sea. Uh, There are subjects of that uh, kingdom, those of us that have pledged our allegiance to him. That kingdom is just as real as the United Kingdom or any other kingdom in in this world, but it's invisible. And though it's here, it is not here in its full form. The kingdom has not been consummated yet. So it's now and not yet. It's the tension that, that, that rules in our life. We have experienced all that there is of God, and yet there's still something missing. I, I don't know if you felt that, but I sure, sure have. Uh, Even when things are going well, when our health is good, our children are prospering, our businesses are doing well, our marriages are strong and sturdy, still there's something missing, something more. Well, that's because we're in this not yet phase of the kingdom. Uh, People feel that uneasiness, that restlessness, and they sometimes do bizarre and sometimes very sinful things. But we need to recognize that everyone... Uh, even authentic Christians feel that tension. The kingdom is now, but it's, it's not yet. There's more coming. We don't have it all yet. Now, this parable that Jesus tells gives us information on how to live during this not-yet phase of the kingdom. Uh, when things just aren't quite going right. Perhaps your children aren't doing well. Your marriage isn't sturdy and strong. Your health is declining. Your business is doing poorly. How do you do? How, what do you do? How do you hold it together? How do you live in that, uh, in that climate? Well, Jesus says we ought to pray and not to give up. Now, that's the context of this uh, parable. I want to talk a little bit about the characters. There are two. Uh, the first is this uh, cold, mean, old curmudgeon, this judge. With a heart as hard and cold as a tile bathroom floor at 2 o'clock in the morning. He's intractable. He will not be moved. He's ruthless. He's lawless. He's godless. He's shameless. He's everything that, that was wrong then with the uh, judicial system of, of that day. Crooked. He's on the take. Uh, had no, no use for God. Had no use uh, for the law. I don't know how many of you remember uh, Paul Newman's movie, The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean. Uh, I grew up not too far from Langtree, Texas, where Judge Roy Bean used to hold court, because well before my time. But uh, he used to uh, uh, hold court in a bar, and he'd put his six-shooter and his bowie knife out there, and, and that was the law west of the Pecos. It was wholly arbitrary, whatever Judge Roy Bean decided, that was the law. Uh, he was an actual character. Well, the man who's described here uh, is far more ruthless, far more more lawless. He makes his own laws. He has no use for this, this woman. She can do nothing for him. She can't bribe him. He has no money with which to do so, and so he has no interest in her. That's the judge. Cold, hard, cruel, unconcerned. And then you have the widow now a widow everywhere in the bible is a picture of helplessness as a matter of fact uh, the the word the greek classical word from which the word widow comes means forsaken a widow in that uh, in that culture uh, had nothing going for it there's no social security there are no death benefits she there's no such thing as a single woman working unless she was a prostitute there were simply no jobs to be had Uh, She could either go home to her first family and endure the humiliation of that experience, or she could be downgraded in the the family of her deceased husband. She she really had no options. So here's this woman who, who really has no recourse except this crusty old judge. So she comes to him and she says, set things right. This man is ripping me off. I can't do anything about it. Help me. Get out of my courtroom. Get out of here. Shoes her out. Bailiff drags her out. So she shows up the next day. And she stands in front of the the bar. And she says, Give me justice. And he says, Get her out of here. they throw her out again. So she's back the third day. And she's back the fourth day. And the fifth day. And the sixth day. And finally, he says in exasperation, "If, If you don't get this woman out of here, She's going to give me a black eye. That's literally the idiom that, that, that the judge uses. Now, I, I have no idea what that idiom means, and neither does anybody else. The commentators take some shots in the dark, but no one knows. But the analogy that comes to my mind is boxing. This woman's jabbing, 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 and she's giving him a black eye, getting on his nerves. And uh, finally, in sheer exasperation gives her what she wants now it's easy to find ourselves in here we're the widow we're utterly helpless whether we realize it or not we may think we're competent but we're all inadequate beings now who does the judge stand for? does that stand for God? my goodness is that the sort of God we have? that we have to wheedle and cajole and beg and and wear him down and hassle him and and hector him and, and just keep get in his face until he finally decides out of sheer ex- exasperation to give us what we want? Oh, absolutely not. See, the point and the power of the parable is not in the comparison between the judge and our Lord, but the contrast between them. See, what our Lord is saying is that, our, is that God is not at all like this Judge. But even if a cold old curmudgeon like this judge will finally relent and give us what we want, how much more will a loving father give us what we, what we ask? This summer we just spent ten uh, uh, wonderful days with our, with our uh, Washington grandchildren. They're six, four, and two. And they're very, very active. And they used to just wear me out. By the end of the day, both the dog and I were totally tuckered. (laughs) And I'm sitting on the sofa and resting my tired old bones. Julia comes in, Papa, will you push me in the swing? Now, what would you do? Would you get out of my face? I'm tired. Leave me alone. No, you do what I what I do, you know, you drag your old bones out there in the backyard and, and you push Julia, because that's that's my granddaughter. And that's the way our father is. You have to beg him. You don't have to twist his arm, you don't have to plead with him, you just ask. You see you see the point that Jesus makes? Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Jesus says, oh, "I tell you, he'll see to it that they get justice, and and they'll get it quickly." Now, you have to understand, with our Lord, a day is, is a thousand years, and he he operates on a different time schedule than we do. But he's going to see to it that things are are set right. Now, the point of this parable, as Jesus said, is pray and don't give up hangs the uh, this parable is a little bit unusual because he hangs the point of the parable on the front door that 's the key that unlocks the parable. People ought always to pray and not to give up now there are several ways we could understand that that statement. Uh, some commentators would say that we need to pray and keep on praying, and it does seem to follow from the parable because the parable really isn 't expli- seems to be an explication of that particular point just just don't give up just keep on praying until god comes through problem is the word give up really doesn't mean that it's a word that means to become very weary very tired very discouraged what jesus is saying is pray and don't let the world get you down there's some interesting uses of this term in the new testament in second corinthians 4 1 paul says therefore since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. It's that word that's translated lose heart. Now The context of that passage is Paul's description of his ministry, which is, as he puts, it's not like Moses. He says, we're not like Moses where the glory fades away. But our ministry is exposing people to a living Lord and teaching them to look into his face and and as, as they open their hearts to him, they're being changed from one degree of glory to the next. And he says, oh, having this kind of ministry, we just never give up. Uh, it's used again in Galatians 6, 9. Paul says, let's don't get weary in doing good. For at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Uh, it's used in Second Thessalonians 3, 13. In, in the context of, of working hard, Paul talks about those that won't work. Just don't just don't feed them. They won't work. Uh, sometimes work is wearisome, and dr- and full of drudgery. Paul says, as for your brothers, never tire of doing what's right. Just keep on working." See, that's the meaning of the term. Just hang in there, uh, Scott's right. Hang in there, baby. That's the term. Uh, that's the term. And the way you do that is through prayer. Now, life does make us weary. All sorts of terrible things happen to us. And we need something to sustain us in the midst of a, of a wearisome world, a world that just doesn't go right. Uh, one of my other Seattle granddaughters, Sarah, uh, is uh, trying to learn how to play basketball. Her uh, father is a basketball coach, high school basketball coach. and So he's really into the game. So when she was a little bitty tyke, he got her a hoop and put it out in the front yard you know, and at her level, and he had her shooting. Shooting hoops, and actually, she doesn't like the game. She hates it. And, uh, you know, he doesn't really get on her case, but he just tries to encourage her. So he decided this year she's six that he'd put her in a basketball league. So Sarah stands out in the middle of the court, kind of watches the game go by, you know, and she's not into it at all. Brian says, Sarah, get in the game. You know, she stands there and looks around. Last game of the season, somebody passed her the ball and hit her right in the face. She never even put her hands up, you know. And that was it for Sarah. She was through. And I don't know if you saw it last last Wednesday. I was looking in the paper and I saw this peanuts cartoon and I couldn't resist. I clipped it out. It so it showed Schroeder shooting baskets, and the ball would go about a foot in the air and go clunk and land on the ground and shoot and clunk. And then the last frame shows him with a pistol shooting the basketball. <clears throat> So I sent that to Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, that's marvelous, you know. That's the way life is. You know, and you just want to Phew, or Phew, spun want out. Life's hard, and if you don't think it is, you just haven't been around long enough. How do you sustain yourself in the face of a, of a world that wears you out? Well, you pray. That's how. You pray. Jesus says, pray and don't give up. And when I come, he says, am I, am I going to find faith like that in you? That's what he's going to look for. Now, in the time we have left, I want to talk a little bit about prayer. And I have to tell you honestly, prayer is a great mystery. I don't understand it. I used to. Uh, I don't understand it anymore. In fact, the older I get, the more uncertain I get about a lot of things. I used to know everything. But I've discovered there's a lot of mystery. And really, I think the more you read the Scriptures and the more you know of God, the more mystery there is. The closer you get to God, the more paradoxes there are. In fact, as I've gotten older, I believe... With greater intensity, greater and greater intensity, in fewer and fewer things. There are some things that I'm absolutely unshakable about, the character of God, the person of Jesus, the authority of Scripture. Those things haven't changed, but there are a lot of things out on the perimeter that I, I, I just don't understand. I, I work a lot with pastors, and these guys are theologically trained, and, and they're bright, and they, you know, they, they, they have a lot of truth, and they ask me these questions... We were studying John 13, a group of pastors and I, this last week. And we were talking about this strange anomaly. Judas, who was foreordained to be the betrayer, and yet there was always the possibility of his repentance. And the Lord was always reaching out to him. And one of these pastors looked at me and said, how can that be? And I said, it beats me you couldn 't believe it that i didn 't know, but i don 't know, and there are a lot of things about prayer that i that i just don 't understand but but here 's one thing I do understand it it is above everything else the highest expression of our dependence upon god that 's all i can 't understand how my prayers can change such some great eternal plan that god has i don 't think it can, nevertheless, I know that In some mysterious way, prayer works. Prayer changes things. It does something. It does something to me. It does something to others. And therefore, my my task is to pray. Now, let me tell you what I think prayer is. I think prayer is just chatting with God. It is like the, the communication we have with our Spouses, with our children, with our colleagues, with our friends. It's just talking to God through the day. Have you ever thought about what an incredible, inestimable privilege we have to talk to the creator of the universe on a personal level, to just intrude into his presence anytime and, and hold a conversation and talk to him? It's not an exercise, it's not a regimen, it's not a discipline, it's not a ritual. It's the sort of thing that you carry on day in and day out with family members and friends. It's just talking to God through the day, just opening your heart, exposing your mind, asking for his mind, expressing your dependence uh, upon him. It's interesting, Bill didn't know this, and I, uh, we didn't corroborate on this at all. But the song that we sang a moment ago comes right, right off of Psalm 55, which was one of the psalms that popped into my mind as I was thinking about this, uh, about this message. David says, evening, morning, and noon, I pray, and he hears my voice. I don't know if that, I mean, that just should amaze us, that God hears what we have to say. David says, morning, noon, night. When I first get up in the morning through the day, before I go to bed tonight, I talk to God and he hears my voice. Uh, David said, uh, right after he had made such a terrible fool of himself before King Abimelech, right after that he prays, "This, this poor man, the word means humiliated, this humiliated man prayed. And the Lord heard him. Uh, Another psalmist says, because he inclined his ear to me. It's a wonderful picture. It's a picture I get is God leaning way over and cupping his ear to us. Because God inclined his ear to me, I'm going to pray to him as long as I live, he says. That's what prayer is. It's the Lord leaning way over and listening to us. And we pour out our hearts to him. I I think I've told you the story my father used to tell about the man who stood up one day in church and prayed one of these long theological prayers. Oh, thou great God who sitteth upon the circle of the earth, before whom the inhabitants are like grasshoppers. And he went on and on and on for about five minutes. And this old fellow behind him reached up and tugged on the back of his coat and said, Just call him Father and ask him for something. That's what prayer is. Just call him Father and ask him. For something years ago, when I was at Peninsula Bible Church, I had the privilege of introducing Corey Tin Boom at an evening uh, body life service, and I looked forward to that all week because I uh, I knew I'd get a chance to meet with her before we went into this the service. And as it turned out, turned out uh, the other staff people were missing that particular night, so it was just Corey and me, and in Ray Stebbins' office. We used to go; that's where we would pray before we would go into the evening service. And I could hardly wait to hear this wonderful servant of the Lord pray, this one who suffered so much at uh, Ravensbrück and then who who forgave her, uh, uh, the Nazi uh, guards who so abused her and who took the life of her sister and other members of her family, just a wonderful, wonderful saint. So uh, we met together and I was uh, frankly intimidated by uh, her and her level of spirituality and and uh, I, I prayed first, and when I looked up, she had her eyes open. She was sort of looking at the one corner of the room, and she said, uh, well, thank you, Jesus. And she got up and walked out, just gathered up her books and walked out. You know, and at first I was disappointed because I wanted to hear her pray. And then I realized what was going on here. You know, this is a woman that, that is connected at all times. And all she had to say was, thank you, Jesus, and walk out and and give the message that God had given to her. I'll never forget that particular occasion because I, it just symbolizes for me what I think it, what prayer is. It's just that sort of connectedness. That's the term that Chris used last week, and I think it's a good one. Those of you that are on the internet know what what it means to be connected. You just you open up your browser, and, and pretty soon you're connected to your server, and, and you're on the internet. Now, my server, uh, if I don't, if there's no activity for 15 minutes, I get dropped off. But that doesn't happen with our Lord. We get up in the morning and, and we say, well, good morning, Lord. Uh, I want to thank you for my my spouse. I want to thank you for my children. I want to thank you for my health, the very fact that I can get out of bed this morning, walk into the bathroom, get out the old toothbrush. You know, I still brush mine this way. I'm sorry, all you dentists. Just thank the Lord that he's purified our mouth and ask him to use our words to touch people's lives through the day and then you take a shower thank the lord that he's uh cleansed you from all of your sin You crawl into your clothes and thank him that he's clothed you with his righteousness and you you go about the day you sit down to read the word and you ask him to explain things to you as as you as you read you ask him what's the meaning of this passage and how does this apply and you ask him to translate the truth into life you know that the, the the greatest hedge against hypocrisy that we have is prayer, because we're always dealing in untrafficked truth. We're we're always reading and learning things. How do we translate that into life? Well, you just ask it as you read it. Lord, make this true in me, in your time and in your way. And and then I don't know what your schedule's like. If you're a homemaker, you go into the kitchen you begin to fix breakfast for the family and. Just begin, as you walk around the table, to serve them, just touch their heads and thank you, thank God for them, and pray with your children before you send them off to school. I read the most remarkable story about Mark Hatfield recently. He was in a gathering of some of his uh, uh, Christian constituents from Oregon, and they were giving him a hard time about the prayer amendment and the lack of any real movement in Congress on that. And, and uh Senator Hatfield made some comments about that, and yes, this would be a good thing. But then he said, let me ask you a question. How many of you sent your kids off to school this morning? And about three or four of them raised their hand. He said, how many of you prayed with your kids before you sent them off? About two or three people stuck their hands up. And he said, well, it just strikes me that before we start asking God to change the schools, we need to ask God to change our hearts, to start praying with our children before we send them off. And then you get get in your car and you go off to work and you ask God that every letter I write, every phone call I make, every contact I have, every word in my mouth, Lord, use it to touch people's lives. See, now that's prayer. That's prayer. And you run into difficult circumstances. Things begin to get tense. You have to meet with someone who's very difficult. I always think of Nehemiah in that regard, you know, who had to go talk to Artaxerxes, the king. He knew his life was on the line. He walked in there and he said, so I said to the God of heaven and I spoke to the king. You know, I can hear it now. Well, Lord, here goes. And that's prayer. Okay? That's prayer. There are always these exigencies and difficult situations we face and, and how do we face them? How do we make our way through them? And prayer. One of my favorite poems uh, It's called The Proper Way to Pray. I picked it up Years ago in some book. I have no idea who wrote it. The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keyes. And the only proper attitude is down upon the knees. No, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with upstretched arms and wrapped in upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Shaw. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. It seems to me his hands should be austerely clasped in front with both thumbs a pointing toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. Last year I fell in Hitchkin's well, head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels a sticking up and my head a pointing down. And I prayed a prayer right then and there, the best prayer I ever said, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed, a standing on my head. That's <laughs> prayer. That's prayer. Pray without ceasing. Now, I'm not a social scientist or a psychologist, but I'd like to venture an opinion. I think that, that unceasing prayer, this ongoing communication, contact with God, really grows out of protracted periods of prayer, time that we set aside to pray. Uh, since Carolyn and I have been involved with IMM, we, we spend almost all of our time together. We travel together, we meet with couples together, and uh, with very few exceptions, we're, we're together constantly. And we talk about things all the time. But we it's been our custom almost from the very beginning of our marriage to set aside a morning a week where we go out to breakfast. We go to some inexpensive place. And, and we sit down and we talk about ourselves and our marriage and our ministry. And, and we spend... 30 minutes to an hour, just just talking about things. And I think it's out of that period of time that all the other conversations flow. If we don't have that, the other doesn't seem to happen. We disconnect. So I think we need those times, prolonged times of prayer. Our Lord needed them. Uh, One of the gospel accounts says that the the crowds were pressing on them and he was going into the mountains to pray. And the verb tense that you use suggests a, a pattern, a practice take off into the hills and he'd spend time just talking to his Heavenly Father. And I think we need those protracted, uh, prolonged periods of prayer. It's not a regimen. It's not a, as I say, it's not, not duty. It's just an opportunity to spend an extended period of time talking to our Heavenly Father. And I think out of that, everything else flows. Now I'm out of time. Let me just say a couple of things about the forms that, that prayer takes, I I think, predominantly, it, it needs to be praise. And you know, we're made for praise. We do it naturally. Uh, you know, you see one of those Jerry Rice catches and you you jump up and you yell, you know, or Michael Jordan dunk or, you know, somebody hits a three-pointer from downtown and you jump out of your, out of your seat. We had the privilege through some kindness of, of some friends here to go to the uh, first performance of the Boise Philharmonic last night and, and uh, 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 Solzhenitsyn's son was the pianist played some beautiful Mozart we heard some wonderful Chucky and and at the end people leaped to their feet you know all these staid people you know know, ties and coats they leap to their feet cheered and stamped their feet you know we're made for that sort of thing we love to praise I was watching the Monday Night Football last last week, and something happened, I can't remember what, and I jumped right out of my chair and gave this shout, scared the dog half to death. Carolyn came running in to see what was wrong with me. Well, you know, you just, you just naturally respond to that sort of thing. You see a beautiful quilt on the wall, and you go, oh, man, that's beautiful. That's just the way we are. And, and, and that ought to be our response as we see who God is and what He's done for us. We ought to leap out of our chair and stamp our feet, clap our hands, and shout, oh, that's that's beautiful Carolyn has a little game she picked it up from Karen Walters she plays with our children I spy they call it and uh, as they drive around town they try to spy God in certain situations you know, I was up seeing some guys up in the mountains just this last week and I saw this uh, bald eagle circling over my head and I thought ah I spy you know? think, things like that I think just make us appreciate God more there's some kind of As they put it, feed forward in expressing praise. Uh, We we acknowledge God's greatness and we praise and it just makes us appreciate God's greatness uh, even more. Prayer is petition as well as praise. It's asking for things. Uh, It's not demanding. God's our friend. You don't make demands of friends. You just ask. Let him answer in his own time and in his own way. And you ask for people. Someone has said, it's a great thing to talk to people about God. It's a greater thing to talk to God about people. Um, it's a wonderful thing just to be able to express your concerns about your, your mate, your children. You may not have any contact with your kids anymore. I, I don't. My kids are scattered all over the place. But I can pray for them. I was reading Job one day, and it struck me. It says that Job used to offer a sacrifice for all of his sons, every day because he said perhaps one of them have sinned and Texas waved goodbye to God. And I thought, that's what I need to do for my boys every day, pray in case they've sinned and they're on the verge of walking away from God, you know, that he draw them back in some way. I, I don't have much personal contact with them, but I can, I can pray for them. Uh, Prayer is asking for understanding, as I said, of of Scripture. Prayer is asking that God would translate truth into our lives. Prayer is confession. I I don't think that confession moves God any closer to us. We are forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. We cannot sin in any way that disqualifies us or renders God uh, uh, ungracious toward us. I think what happens is that when we confess our sins, it moves us back into fellowship with God. We're the ones that feel defiled. Now, finally, I I think there is one result of prayer that we often overlook. Prayer does a lot of things. I think prayer aligns with God's will so that that we actually become a, a co-worker with him and seeing certain things accomplished. We start to pray for something and we find that he's moving our mind in this direction, and we're praying concertedly for some outcome, and it happens, and we get all excited. about well, it's something God determined from eternity to do, but he has enlisted us and aligned us with him in order to achieve what he what what, what was on his heart. That's a that's a great feeling to be a co-worker with God and in that way. So prayer does work in that sense, but there's 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 one element of prayer which I think our Lord centers on here which we're inclined to overlook and that is that, that prayer makes us more peaceful, poised, quiet, powerful people. The logic of prayer, you see, is it makes us more restful Without prayer, you know, prayerless lives are busy lives. You know, that's the catch-22 situation that we find ourselves in. We don't pray, and so we have to we have to make things happen. And uh, so we're busy and busy and busy and busier, and then we don't have time to pray. Somehow we've got to break into that cycle, and we have to realize that that our busyness usually is based upon our our, our this. Sense that we have it—it all depends on us. If I don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. And it's prayer that breaks that up, makes us more peaceful and placid, calm, poised in the face of all the. Makes us centers of peace in this crazy world that we live in. I—I'm sure I've mentioned before my coming back from a meeting one time and praying with Carolyn, and, and she's kind of chuckled in the middle of one of my prayers. I—I I'd, I'd prayed, Lord thank you for taking care of things while I'm gone. And I just kind of quiet chuckle. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, and her eyes twinkle in this kind way she has. She says, well, who do you think takes care of it while you're here? (laughs) Okay. See, I'm back on the job. Lord, you can take off now, you know. I just get busy, 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 busy. Prayer makes us peaceful people. And centers of peace so that others are drawn to us. Let me leave you with one quote from Henry Nowen. Uh, <clears throat> Nowen has become one of my my favorite authors. And here he's addressing a group of ministers. So it's not very gender sensitive, but I just want you to overlook that and, and listen to what, what he has to say. Only a man of prayer can lead others to celebration because everyone who comes in contact with him realizes that he draws his power from a source that cannot... They cannot easily locate, but they know a strong and deep. Prayer gives him a certain independence that makes him rise above the immediate needs and the most urgent desires of the people around him. He's deeply moved by things happening around him, but he doesn't allow himself to be crushed by them. He listens attentively, speaks with a self-evident authority, but does not easily get excited or nervous. In all he says or does, he proves to have a vision that guides his life. To that vision, he's obedient and makes him distinguish sharply between what is important and what is not. He's not insensitive to what excites people, but he evaluates their needs differently by seeing them in the perspective of his vision. He's happy and content when people listen to him, but he doesn't get discouraged when they don't. What he says sounds convincing and obvious, but he doesn't force his opinion on anybody and isn't irritated when people don't accept his ideas or don't fulfill his will. All this shows that his vision is what counts for him. Prayer makes us more peaceful, powerful people. As Jesus said, All right, you and I need to pray and not give up. And. As my friend Ray Steadman used to say, there are really only two alternatives in life. We're either praying or we're fainting. If we're praying, we're not fainting. If we're fainting, we're not praying. Well, let's pray. Lord, we would ask that you would make us centers of peace, not by some act of magic, but simply because we have learned how to pray. We see you at work and see that quiet, calm way in which you went about life. And and uh, like your disciples, we, we ask that you would teach us to pray. We, we see the connection between your poise and your prayer life, and we want it. We know it's something that uh, uh, our enemy invades against at every turn. That The busyness of our life complicates things. That our unbelief keeps us from entering in, but we just want all of that to change, and we want to be... Women and men who pray. And women and men who don't faint. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.